In the holy name of Jesus, amen. There are these stories that Jesus tells in the Gospels called the parables. Parables are fiction stories that Jesus tells using some sort of earthly relevance that we understand to somehow explain how God and his kingdom works. You and I, for the most part, like the parables. We like the parable of the mustard seed, the mustard seed that has such great faith, such great faith that it can even move mountains. We like the parable of the lost sheep, of the prodigal son, where God goes out and seeks out that which is lost. But I will guarantee you that today, by the time you leave church, you will not like this parable that you heard today. Really? Really? That's rather confident and bold, Pastor. But I guarantee you, this parable today makes you and me squirm. Why? Why? Jesus tells the parable today to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and yet they treated others with contempt. You have two guys in the story today of the parable. It's very simple. There isn't a lost sheep or a lost coin or a shepherd or anything else. You have two people. And to maybe put it in modern-day contexts, one is a pastor and the other works for the IRS. We've heard a little bit about the IRS these past couple of weeks, haven't we? 80 million different things that we've heard about the IRS on our future with things. But here are two people, a clergyman, just like this guy up here, and an IRS agent. And they both go to church. And you'll notice what they say in their life of the church. One goes in and says, I'm glad, Pastor, that I, or glad God that I'm a pastor, and boy, I'm just not like everybody else out there. I do all these things that you ask of me. I pray, I fast, I give 10% above all else. I go to all the meetings. I serve with every little board and committee and so forth. And then the tax collector, the FBI, the IRS agent gets in the back, and he cannot even find himself his usual pew, he cannot even look up to the altar of God, but he beats his breast and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Y'all with me? Y'all got it? Okay, good. Which one are you? Which one are you today? That's the, that's the point of this whole parable. Which person are you? Are you the clergy person? Are you like the righteous person in this, the Pharisee? Well, think about what he does. I thank you. I'm not in the world, Jesus. I'm, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I thank you, God, that I, I trust in you and you alone. And that's a good thing, right? I thank you, Lord, that I'm not an extortioner, that I'm not fleecing people of money, that I'm not crooked like some of those people in the economy are, or those politicians. I thank you, Lord, that I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm not unjust. I don't treat people harshly or rudely or whatever else. And I thank you, Lord, that I'm not an adulterer. I don't dare look at anybody with lust. I've been faithful to my husband, my wife. I don't even look at anything on the internet, Lord, let alone anything else. And I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this person out there. I even give 10%. I rarely participate in all of the life of the church. I'm here every Sunday. 
I'm even going to be installed today as a congregational officer. Don't anybody feel uncomfortable now about coming up? But if you think about it, this guy who is a Pharisee, everything that he's doing is okay. It's fine. He's loving neighbor, loving his church, serving, giving, and doing all of these things. But for what reason? Look at me. It's all about me. Okay, you might say, well then, I guess I'm like the IRS agent. Really? Do you like to fleece people of money? Have you stolen from people? Have you filled your own back pocket with other people's money? Have you lied in order to gain more money? Have you been corrupt with people's money? Have you been corrupted with people's livelihoods to the point where it has made them very, a very difficult time to live? Have you looked at others and said, I'm going to take everything I possibly can from you because I think I deserve a better life? Have you treated your neighbor as you want to be treated? Have you loved your neighbor as much as you love yourself? Have you had compassion on your neighbor? Have you been willing to let them live their life even when things are difficult? Have you looked upon them with no judgment? Or have you fully looked upon them with all of your judgments in mind? Which person are you? That's the question. That's the question for church today. That's the question for you. That's the question for me. You are one or the other. Do you want to be a good goody two-shoe? Goody two-shoe Christian who knows it all and thinks they have it all set and straight and they're just so thankful that they're not like other people who are not in the church? Or are you one that has truly hurt and lied and been corrupt? We're going to set out a poll here over Survey Monkey before you leave. No, it's just a joke, all right? I've been on vacation, all right? But it's true. Who are you in this context? You might say, well, I, I don't want to be either one. I don't identify as this. Okay, so you're not a Christian? Well, <laughs> I, you know, I really, but I don't identify with that either. Oh, okay. So you've never treated anybody poorly or badly or stolen from anybody? This is a mess. It's a big, hot mess. But that's what we're faced with today. And that's why we don't like this parable. One of my shows that I absolutely loved growing up, and you'll probably think way less of me now that I state this, but it's true, was The Simpsons. <laughs> if you know about The Simpsons, you know about Homer Simpson and his family and how crazy and corrupt and crazy antics that he gets in with his family and all sorts of trouble. But do you know who his next door neighbor is? Ned and Marge Flanders. And they're two boys, Todd, and I don't remember his other name, and they are the Bible-believing Christians who are at every possible Christian church event. They are living pious, holy lives in front of everybody. And you'll notice that these two neighbors are constantly against each other. Ned's always letting Homer borrow his tools. Homer's never giving them back. But they both show up to church on Sunday morning around Reverend Lovejoy, living out their lives as supposed Christians. I'll give it to you maybe a more biblical nature. Jesus has a parable called the wheat and the weeds. They both grow up looking the same. You can't tell the wheat and the weeds apart. 
And so what happens? The harvesters come along and say, we got to pull the weeds. And the, the master of the field says, no, don't do that. Lest you pick up some of the wheat in pulling up the weeds. So who are you today? Is this really just a goody two-shoe club about living out the Christian life and showing everybody how much of a Christian you are, showing the love of Jesus for others? Yes. Your life has been changed in your baptism. You should be the one now being salt and light and mercy to those who are in need around you. You above everybody else have heard the words of the scriptures. Do not judge, do not condemn, but rather be merciful and forgive as God your heavenly father has forgiven and been merciful to you. Is this really all about the broken people who've come in that have done just absolutely horrible things with their lives? About people who are not like us, who don't act like us, don't walk like us or talk like us. About people who have made up really odd decisions with their lives, identify in different ways than maybe what we're accustomed to, coming in and possibly receiving the forgiveness, light, and mercy of Christ? Yes, it is. That's why this is not a hospital for sinners. I know that's been an analogy that's been used in the past. The church is not a hospital for sinners. This is not you come in here today and you've been motivated and you have that rush up your back and you're going to go out and I'm, I'm going to try to be a better Christian to my neighbor. You should. You really should. But next Sunday we'll come in here and I'll ask you, how are you doing with that? And you'll say, well, you know, Sunday afternoon was good until my kids asked me what's for supper. And then I didn't feel so, so Christian. Or everything was good until Monday when I had to go back to school for the second week of school and I realized the excitement's kind of gone and, and I, my classmates annoy me or whatever else it might be. This is not a hospital for sinners. This is a hospice unit. That's what this church is, a hospice unit. And if you know anything about a hospice unit, people who enter into a hospice unit are going there to die. They enter into the hospice unit knowing that all of the drugs, the medications, the doctors, and everything else that they have tried and striven for has not worked, and it's probably about time to make those plans, palliative care, Preparation to die. One of my dearest friends, who's a pastor in Cookville, Tennessee, was so frustrated with his congregation that he was serving in the Carolinas at one time that he made a bold charge and asked them to change their mission statement. Because he said at times the congregation didn't understand what the true mission was. They thought it was about growth, financial uh, growth, number growth, programs, and everything else. And he preached to them one Sunday about the very fact that the church is a hospice unit. And he told them, I would suppose that maybe we should change the mission statement of our church to whatever Lutheran church, a place where we prepare you to die. Hey, come on in the Grace Lutheran Church, Little Rock. We are going to prepare you to die. What would you say to that? I'm going to go to the next church. Sorry, 
That's not too enlightening. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are dead in their trespasses, says Paul today. Every last one of us. All deserve the wrath and condemnation of God. All deserve to be obliterated and wiped out. And here is the key. With these two people that you see in this text today, they both deserve that wrath and condemnation. One is acting like he's better than everybody else and acting all in the light of being righteous before everybody else, and the other has downright treated people horribly. The reality is, is that it doesn't matter which one you are in here. It doesn't matter how long you've been a member of this church. It doesn't matter if you're coming up here today to be installed as a new officer. It doesn't matter if you're the newest brother in Christ that we celebrated with Carl today. All of us are sinful all of us are in need of a Savior. All of us are dead in our trespasses. Dirt, poor, dead. Dust in the ground. No life in us. And whether you think you walk the walk or talk the talk, you don't do it good enough. And neither do I. And that's why as we come in here today, we can look at both of these people and say, I, I identify with both of them. I am sinful. I have fallen short of the glory of God. This isn't about how much you pray and read and study and everything else like this. It's not about how much you serve. Those things are great. They're fantastic. They're encouraged. But some of you might say, I don't have time to pray. I don't know how to read the scriptures. I don't have time to serve. And therefore, I feel guilty about how much I can do or I should be doing. I feel like the tax collector, the IRS man. I feel like I have been a sinner and I can't even look my eyes up to God. The warning here today is a warning that is echoed from St. Paul. Be careful lest you think you stand and you fall. Every last one of you in here today, including the bald guy wearing the green moo-moo today up here today, every last one of us is a sinner. But just like little Carl, who came in as a sinner, you are also declared today a saint. Holy, innocent, righteous, blameless, pure in God's sight. Not by what you have done or left undone. Not by all the times that you have fled from temptation. But because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ poured out freely for you. For me for the Pharisee, and for the IRS agent. We follow and love Jesus Christ, who was rejected and crucified by the world. He was the one who came without sin and yet became sin for us. All of our sin, shame, all of our guilt, everything that we have done, not living according to the will of God, he has taken upon himself. That's the beauty about what we talk about when Jesus takes away sin. It's not like taking out your garbage. Hey, garbage is a little smelly, it's a little gross, bugs. Take it out and put it into the garbage can. And then eventually the garbage truck comes and takes it and puts it in the landfill. And you don't ever see it again. Jesus becomes the garbage. He becomes the sin. 
He doesn't just simply carry it in his back, on his back and throw it away for us. He becomes what you can't be. He is the one who is the righteous one so that now you can be righteous. He becomes what you and I are. The one who has no sin now becomes sin for us. He's rejected for his love. He's rejected for healing the lame. He's rejected for raising the dead. He's rejected for being the very son of the living God. He's rejected for being the light of the world, love in human flesh. He's rejected as the one who shows us the way, the truth, and the life. But the wretchedness of this world continue to gather around him and his word, stepping with him through death into life. That means that this place shall be open for all people, Pharisee, tax collector, baptized, non-baptized, lifelong Christian, or those who are inquiring and confused and have a bunch of questions. We've all been there. You're going to be there this week. It's a constant, regular progression throughout life. You've sinned. You've sinned as much as the next person, and that's why we rejoice that God has called you by name in your baptism. He's washed away all of those sins. They are cast in the depth of your baptismal river so that they are no longer remembered. As far as the east is from the west, they are no longer remembered by him. In that baptismal font, you were crucified with Christ, according to Romans 6. You were buried with Christ, according to Romans 6. And you were raised with him into the newness of life. So that whether you identify as Homer Simpson or Ned Flanders or the, pup, the Pharisee, or the IRS agent, or is the lifelong Christian, or the one who's not quite sure who in the world God is, if there is one, and not sure what God might be doing, there is a place for you here. Because the shed blood of Jesus Christ has been poured out onto this earth, and it is now no longer Abel's blood that speaks forth, but Christ's blood who speaks on your behalf. That's what the writer of the Hebrew says. He speaks that best sentence to you today. Don't trust in yourself. You have nothing. Trust in me. Because his blood says to you, your sins are forgiven. And so when we cry out, God be merciful to me, a sinner, he is. He was, he is, and he shall be from this day forth and forevermore for you and for the life of the whole world. To Christ alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.